Hey, it's producer Aaron here. And before we get started with today's podcast, I just want to give you a heads up that this originally aired on the radio, on the Salem Radio Network, about a year ago uh, during our Worldview Wednesday segment. It's a sermon Steve gave at his local church here in Des Moines, Iowa, entitled The Enemy's Game Plan. Let's listen in. I personally believe elitism, Marxism, atheist, government intervention, secular humanist, liberals and conservatives, materialism, nihilism, U.S. Americans, Christian, globalist, socialist, democracy. Worldview, as the word suggests, is how we look at the world around us. How do we understand life as it hits us in the face? Libertarian, Tea Partier, the free market. Nobody is without a worldview. The only question is, is it a good one or a bad one? So it becomes the glasses, the spectacles, the filter through which they're actually seeing life. And the whole universe and the world and human life is understood through that lens. This is Steve Dace. Hour three of the Steve Dace Show underway on a Wednesday night. You know that means it's time for Worldview Wednesday. I, of course, am not Steve Dace. I'm his producer, Aaron McIntyre, which means we're changing things up a little bit this week. We're going to be playing tonight excerpts of a sermon Steve gave to his local church in Des Moines, Iowa, about the scourge and cult that is progressivism and how it's the church's responsibility to put an end to it. He also talks about how we can actually do that. The title of the message is The Enemy's Game Plan. Let's listen in. Hosea 4.6 is our inspiration here this morning. Hosea, prophet in the Old Testament, says, My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. And because you have rejected knowledge, God says to the prophet, I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. What knowledge had the people of Israel forgotten? The knowledge of God. But why is that knowledge important? Because it was their legacy. Many of us since 9-11 have learned more about Islam than we had ever heard before. Terms like Hamas, Sunni, Shia, Hadith. Many of these are terms we didn't know what they were September 10th, 2001. But we know them all well and good now. They're in our headlines all the time. And we've always had traditional divisions within Christianity, but Islam is very, very, very jacked up. This is what happens when your founder is illiterate, cannot read or write, leaves no written record after he dies. Hundreds of years go by, people have to debate amongst themselves, what did he really mean? Two camps immediately form, and they have been at war with one another ever since trying to interpret that. That's not true in the culture Hosea is talking to. And the culture Hosea is talking to, they are a highly literate culture. They have to be. They have oral traditions of the law passed down and then written traditions that meticulously they all must know and they all must memorize. This goes on even into the first century, the culture that Christ is born into, that he gathers his disciples from. Maybe you've read the New Testament. You thought, you know, it's kind of weird. This guy walks up out of nowhere and just says, come follow me. And people just like, uh, you know, just mind numb, just drop everything and do it. That's not what that means. Understand that in the culture Christ comes from, every boy went to what essentially is Hebrew school. All of them did. They all had to learn the law. They all had to learn the scriptures. They had to memorize it until about what I guess you and I would call about the eighth grade. Ever wonder why Bamitzvahs are at 13? Here's why. That is the age Abraham allegedly took Isaac, according to tradition, up to Mount Moriah. Right? The age of manhood. And so... 
At that age, you essentially were determined, what would you do with the rest of your life? If you had a particular knowledge, discernment, gift for the Torah, the way, as they called it, or we call today the law. If you had a particular gift for this, a rabbi then may come to you. And you know what he would say? Come, follow me. It was the dream of Jewish boys to hear that from a rabbi. That's like saying your son played high school football. You pick up the phone one day and a big time college coach is on the other line saying, I want to offer you a scholarship. So they didn't just out of nowhere, like some metaphysical experience, drop everything and just walk away following this village shaman without any regard or backdrop at all. They understood what that meant. They had been picked. And of course, many times in the New Testament, you hear the, the, the apostles refer to Jesus as whom? Or in others even refer to Jesus as whom? Rabbi? Teacher? That is the language of that culture. Literacy was at a very high rate. Why? Because Moses commanded them hundreds of years ago in Deuteronomy, do not forget this. Remember, you must teach your children to remember. Even imprinted in your own clothes, wear tassels, do not forget this. Hang living stones in the middle of nowhere so we remember the battles that God won for us here so we would not forget. Because Moses then closes with this command, I have set before you blessing and cursing, life or death, choose life so that what? So that you and your descendants may live. Now we are not Israel. We are not an archetype for Israel. But we are a nation that was founded with a lot of indirect covenantal language like that. Because we were a nation founded largely by Christians who understood that God is not just speaking specifically here in some cases to the people of Israel, but to the whole world because the Jewish people were to be a what? A light to all nations. That's who they were to be. An example, they were to show the way. That's why they even meticulously dressed different, ate different foods so that they would be different and distinct from the rest of the world. And then the rest of the world would then look at their example and say, "Why are? what is it about you? That your God blesses you and we are suffering. Similar to how our own testimonies in a New Testament world do the same thing for Christ. People look at how, not how we avoid persecution or avoid abandonment or heartbreak or avoid difficult circumstances, but how we overcome them. How are you able to overcome them? What's different about you? Why is your marriage different? Why is your family different? Why is your home different? And this is the opportunity for us to share that testimony. But the problem is, if you forget your legacy, you don't have a testimony. 17% of eighth graders, 12% of high school seniors, 20% of sixth graders, this means you get dumber the longer you're in there. That's what it means. You get dumber the longer you're there. Hey, happens in in, in in the Christian world too. I've read numerous studies that found the longer a a future pastor spends in seminary before getting a pastorate, the less likely he is to believe the Bible. The more time they spend around academics, the less likely they are to preach God's word. Similarly, the the more educated we are, the dumber we get. So only 20% of sixth graders, and understand the Department of Education... This ain't the Federalist Papers, guys. This is like, who's the first president? Who won the Civil War? Basic stuff here. 
20% of sixth graders, 17% of eighth graders, 12% of high school seniors demonstrate a solid grasp on their nation's history. A majority of fourth graders did not know why Abraham Lincoln was important. Nearly 80% of 12th graders incorrectly identified North Korea's ally against the U.S. in the Korean War, despite the fact it was a multiple-choice question. In 2011, Newsweek administered the U.S. citizenship test to 1,000 random American citizens. Oh, boy. The results? Tragic. Let me give you a few examples. Ready for a laugh? Look in the mirror. Here we go. 33% of Americans could not identify when the Declaration of Independence was signed. Even though we celebrate it on the same day every year. 65% of Americans couldn't say what happened at the Constitutional Convention. The name itself would seem to imply an event took place there and was discussed, would it not? Now, how has this happened? Let's get serious here for a second. Let me tell you what you're up against in America. How do we get from here to here? Let me tell you what you're up against in America. A cult. You are up against a cult. More from Steve Dace and his message, The Enemy's Game Plan, on The Steve Dace Show, coming up next. You're listening to Steve Dace. The new benchmark in broadcast mediocrity, Steve Dace. Welcome back to the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Tonight for Worldview Wednesday, hearing excerpts of a sermon Steve preached called The Enemy's Game Plan. Let's continue with part two. Leftist progressive Marxism is a cult, like every other cult. That's what it is. Why? Because every cult has the same five characteristics, and so does this one. Number one. A cult always begins with its own mythology every single time. Why does it have to have its own mythology? Well, because if you take away the source material or the premise of someone's belief system, the rest of it falls apart. Civil engineers will tell you if you want to dam a river, you dam it at the source. You don't dam it at the bottom of the hill. Why? Gravity. So you got to go up to the top where it, where it begins. That's the easiest place before gravity takes hold. Similarly, you want to deconstruct someone's worldview. You start at the beginning. Always start at the beginning. I mean, we, are, we have become so ignorant of this process. If you ask people, when does life begin? Well, gee, I, I don't really know. I can tell you when it begins, and I didn't spend a day in med school. It begins, now follow me now. It begins... At the beginning. That's when it begins. What is the beginning? Sperm meets egg. That's the beginning. How do we know? Because it can't start any earlier than that. So that's when it begins. This used to be called common sense. Now you're a bigot. The point is to deconstruct, to get you to doubt your entire belief system. Now what is today's preferred mythology? Is it Titans on Olympus? No. It's this idea that if I'm walking down the sidewalk out here in front of the church and I come upon a penny sitting there, I pick it up and I I don't presume anymore someone dropped it, which meant that someone once owned it. 
No, I presume that, this is amazing, this copper alloy over the course of billions of years just miraculously just totally evolved. And, and they tried over and over and over again these amino acids and these enzymes and these proteins and they finally came up with words I can actually read on here after millions and billions of years of trial and error. If someone walked in to your home and made this argument to you about where this penny came from, your reaction would be, you're crazy. Forcible commitment You're an idiot. Again, here's your sign. Now, now you run the Department of Education. Now you're on the Board of Regents. Now you even run the Religious Studies Department at Iowa State University. You're a genius. All because you believe something came from nothing. Now I'm just talking about a penny. Imagine a human body comprised of two trillion cells. Two trillion cells. And the presumption is there's no point to that at all. So why do we believe it? Because it gives us permission to do what we want with our wallets and with our zippers. That's why. That's really what this is always about. Always. Why are there more sermons in the Bible about money and sex than any two topics? Because they're the two biggest weaknesses we have as a species. That's why. It's always about, I get to do what I do with my wallet and my zipper, and you're not the boss of me. I'll believe even absolutely stupid, absurd philosophies that cannot be defended on their face. You watch the movie Expelled. You see Jewish attorney Ben Stein make Richard Dawkins look like a blubbering idiot. And all he does is ask this noted atheist scholar a simple question repeatedly. Why? 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 Till finally he breaks Dawkins down so much, Dawkins says, I don't know, maybe aliens came and seeded our waters with DNA. You're the smart guy in the room. You're the smart guy in the room. Now, we believe this because we want to. These mythologies appeal to our vanity. They appeal to our desire. They give us permission to do what it is we really want to do, which is rebel against God. Once the mythology in a culture is established, we move on to the next phase. A cult, then, always specializes in distortion. Distortion of what? God's word and truth, always. In fact, you see this process play itself out the first time a satanic cult is introduced in all of human creation. The serpent comes to Adam and Eve, and he says to, Ad, he says to Eve one simple question. Did God really say? I don't know. Are you sure? You positive that's what he said? I mean, we're just having a conversation. Eve's response is an equal distortion. Well, God said not to touch the fruit. That is not what God said. God didn't say anything about touching it, throwing it, playing hacky sack with it. That's not what God said. He was very, very precise. Do not eat of the fruit. But again, Eve gives her opinion in response to his distortion, and now the lie is formed. One plants sinful humanity waters, and then Satan will then give the increase. You're listening to Steve Dace. We don't play for a team. We fight for the truth. You're listening to Steve Dace. 
So what can the church actually do about the cult that is progressivism? Steve has the answer in part three of his sermon, The Enemy's Game Plan. You cannot reach people or reason people in a, reason with people in a cult, but you can reach them. Here's what it takes to reach them. You. Relationship will trump, is the only thing that trumps cults. Both a relationship with our Savior and relationships with one another. You. You're what is needed. You're what your fa- you are what your family members are going to need. You are what your coworkers and your friends are going to need. We are made relationally, guys. I wish we were made intellectually. My life would be so much easier because I am not particularly prone to being relational. In case anybody has noticed, and my wife just gave me an amen, okay? All right. I have to make an effort at that. Oh, I wish. I wish it was all Mount Carmel where Elijah stands up and debates and faces down the prophets of Baal and mocks them and he's snarky and he wins. I wish it was always like that, but in many cases it's not. Understand, we are made in God's image. God in, in himself is a relationship. We, are, we crave relationship. We are needed to overcome this cult. How do we relate with one another? Isaiah 6.8 And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah answers and he says, Here I am, Lord, send me. I've mentioned this before. How many of us look at that sign when we walk out of here over the exit to this church? You are now entering your mission field. Everything going on in your life that is bad and is tough because of the things that happen with all the unbelievers around you, none of it surprises God. He knows how dysfunctional your workplace is. That's why... You're there. He knows how dysfunctional the political arena is. That's why you're there. He knows how dysfunctional your church is. That's why you're there. He knows how dysfunctional your family is. That's why you're there. That's why you're there. Ask yourself, am I willing to be sent? Are you willing to be sent? Isaiah doesn't say, here I am, draft me. He says, here I am, send me. Romans 10.4, Paul writes, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? I had to give up this idea of asking pagans to believe and act better than Christians or like Christians. Not going to happen. So ask yourself this, are you willing to be that someone? Are you willing to be that someone? I mentioned a few minutes ago the time I spent working with MSNBC during the last election cycle. They did an exit interview with me. They were thinking about hiring a full-time conservative commentator. So they interviewed me and a few others. And I sat down with one of their executive producers. And she, man, I grew up with Dave Day, so I thought I'd heard the F-bomb used in every possible connotation at least 500 times. But this gal was a virtuoso, okay? I mean, there wasn't a sentence that didn't include the F-bomb or the Lord's name in vain. And, and for me as a believer now, it gets distracting. Are you, you get distracted by that where you find yourself, you know, 
I can't understand the words that are coming out of your mouth. I'm totally stuck on how many times you just took the Lord's name in vain there, you know? But she said to me, she goes, you are the first person I've ever met with your belief system that I can actually understand why you believe what you believe. That, that, that I can see why a sane person might believe the stuff you believe. I don't agree with anything you say or think. But for the first time in my life, this woman was probably 50. For the first time in my life, I think I can see why, where people like you are coming from. I still don't get it, I don't understand it, but at least I can see you have some sane reasons for where you're coming from. Oddly enough, some foul-mouthed executive producer at MSNBC affirming my sanity is one of the nicest things anybody's ever said about me. <laughs> right? Because do you understand what it takes to even get to that point in a relationship? And if you've spent any time in that part of the country, I'm telling you. I, I, I'm telling you, when I, I'm, I might, be, might have been the only person that had a biblical worldview many of those people have ever met, ever been around. Well, you know, what does Paul do? Goes. Doesn't wait for them to come. Goes. So are you willing to be that someone? Are you willing to go? Matthew 9, 37. Then Jesus says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Ask yourself, am I willing to be one of those workers? Workers. Are you willing to be one of those workers? Because, man, I see a lot of people that want to be a part of the multitude, but don't want to be disciples. And disciple is the root word of discipline. And we all wrestle with this. We'll all have hot and cold seasons. I know that I do. But ultimately, the big picture is, do you desire to work? Do you desire to work for your family in a provision standpoint, but do you desire to work for God in a ministerial one? You know, if you guys want to be good little Protestants and believe in the priesthood of every believer, then we need a priesthood of every believer. Not... 10% of the people do all the tithing and volunteering while everybody else just kind of coasts. That's not a community. That's a welfare state. That's not the way this is supposed to work. It's funny, you know, when I get involved in cultural political matters, I see the same people, God bless them, from the same handful of churches, no matter where I go in Iowa, every single time. There's 423 churches, I believe, in Des Moines. Where's everybody else at? Where are they all at? So we're really good at wringing our hands, waiting for somebody else to do something. Not real good about stepping up and doing it ourselves. Maybe that's your calling. You're supposed to do that. And I will just tell you, yes, it can be stressful, but I, man, I will tell you, I never feel more alive in my life than when I am doing what God has called me to do. You're listening to Steve Dace.
for such a time as this. Steve Dace. Welcome back to the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network, putting the wraps on this uh, special edition of Worldview Wednesday, hearing parts of a sermon Steve gave to his local church called The Enemy's Game Plan. In that sermon, Steve establishes his case for why progressivism, Marxism, is a cult in the United States, what the church should do about it, and now he has a challenge for you in part five. So where's everybody at? Why is it always the same people doing everything every single time? Don't tell me you're busy. I'm up here. I work 16 hours, five days a week. I wrote four national publication columns this week, did 20 hours of radio. You're busy? I got three kids at home and a wife. You're busy. Really? Okay. Maybe we should follow you around. And I even had time to still play video games, guys. We need workers. People who are willing to do this because they've been called to do it and are willing to serve. That's how we reach people. You know why my wife will do this? Well, she'll put up with the complaints. Some of them from me. Complaining about your complaints. You know why she'll put up with it? Because she loves those kids. That's why. You know why I will put up with all the angry emails and everything I get all the time? Because I love the people that God has called me to serve. In spite of myself. I would not like to do that. But I almost can't help myself because this is how I'm called. I'm just telling you too, if you're not serving where God has called you, you're missing out on the best part of your Christian life. You're doing all the real hard stuff without the stuff that gives you that reward, seeing lives changed. Reaching people, connecting with people. Seeing, wow, even though I don't necessarily sense how God is working in my life right now, it's amazing to see what he's doing in yours, so I know he's still there. You're missing out. You're selling yourself short. God will get things done whether you show up or not. We have services here every Sunday, even though the same group of people are usually the same ones putting it on every single week. God makes it happen. So understand, because you're not there, it's not like the whole thing falls apart. You're the one missing out. What is it God has called you to do? Don't you want this to be something? Well, I do the same 15-minute devotional every morning. I go to the same church every Sunday. Is that what you want? That's not what this is. This is not a routine. This is a life. It's an adventure. You're missing out when you don't answer your call. And the people you're supposed to reach are missing out too. So ask yourself this. Are you willing to be one of those workers? Let us earnestly pray for the Lord of the harvest to send us out. But most of all, for us willing to be sent. Willing to be sent. Willing to answer that call. And that is the conclusion of Steve's message, The Enemy's Game Plan, preached originally at his local church in Des Moines, Iowa. You want audio of that? Uh, It'll be on the podcast later on this evening. We'll be back tomorrow. Until then, Micah 6-8. You're listening to Steve Dace.